Hey there, welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week, Scotty has shown me a movie. Uh, we're, we're back to our usual game on here, on Shoot the Flick. No gimmicks, no Disney, no spoopifying spooky things. Just cinematic gold. We are covering the Martin Scorsese classic Casino. Released in 1995. Now, this definitely is a movie that Scott's wanted to show me for a while. And fun fact, when we recently saw my mom, you know, the famous Jen Sparks. It's been on our show many times before. Uh, and I mentioned that Scott was finally showing me Casino. And she looked at me. She said, you've never seen Casino? And I said, no. She's like, oh, my God. So she was very upset and ashamed that uh, I had never seen Casino. So now I've seen it. And the shame will be lifted. And my mother will love me once again. But... <laughs> I was excited to watch this and we kind of have like a tiny little theme going for this week and next week because both the movie we're watching this week and next week have a setting in the 1970s, which I feel like because neither of us were alive during that time or really have any strong connections to the 70s style and vibe. Uh, we, we don't really talk about a lot of 70s flicks on here very much. We have in the past, but not a whole bunch. No. So I'm excited to dive into that. But also, Martin Sorsese, who directed Casino, recently came out with a new movie called Killers of the Flower Moon, which Scott and I both saw when it first came out. We posted about our reviews of that movie. I feel like the, our thoughts were complicated. There were some similarities between that movie and this movie. Scorsese has... A type of movie. Yes. And he liked it a crime picture. He liked it a mob picture. He does. You look at his big ones. You got Goodfellas. You got Casino. You got Mean Streets. You got Irishman. You got Now Killers of the Flower Moon. They all have a sense of mobbiness. Yes. There's a, a, a theme of organized crime. And he tends to be very meticulous in laying out all the details of said crimes or cops as well with like investigation stuff he's also very meticulous with the details of everything and sometimes it can get a little like okay come on already like you know i noticed that with killers of the flower moon and i noticed that a little bit with casino i think both of these movies are good I think Casino is better than Killers of the Flower Moon. The only thing that's really different about Killers is obviously the Native American aspect of it that adds another layer of discussion (laughs) uh, into the movie and just Martin Scorsese as a filmmaker in general, I think. He's definitely an interesting guy to talk about because he, like Scott said, has a type of movie that he likes to make and that he excels at. But he doesn't really step outside of that area very much. No. Uh, What I said essentially is like they made a book about what happened to the Osage people back in the 20s that became a very prolific, well-awarded book. And Scorsese read that book and based Killers of the Flower Moon on that book. So what I said probably happened to our good old Marty is he read the book and just based on like the gruesomeness of these crimes that happened back then 
and the fact that it was organized crime, just not in the sense that maybe he's used to dealing with mafia stories and all that. My guess is he read that book and in his mind was like, holy shit, this is like fucking Goodfellas, but in the fucking 20s. And he did a good job. Well, yeah, Martin Scorsese has probably forgotten more about filmmaking than any of us will ever know. Yeah, I think the main problem with Killers of the Flower Moon, I mean, just the representation of the Osage people in general, but I think even the Osage individuals that consulted on that movie kind of said it best. They basically said that Martin Scorsese did a good job at representing the Osage people, but no one could do it like an Osage person and no one could show the perspective of Molly who's the Osage woman at the forefront of the story no one could show that perspective like an Osage person in the movie so as a white guy telling it from a white guy's perspective he did a good job with it yeah he did a good job if you're gonna take it that way but there's a lot of issues with Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I would recommend, especially if you're a movie buff, to see it yourself and come to your own conclusions. But I I would say that ultimately I don't think Marty was coming from a... Bad place. Bad, no, I think it's very well-intentioned. And I think, if, if nothing else, it allows people to have a really big platform to look at this fucking travesty that happened in history and like really look at it and see how fucked up it is and... It's a thought-provoking piece. So I think ultimately it's going to do good. Could it have been done better? Of course. Also, I did see like certain similarities in the way that Molly was handled in the movie in, in Killers of the Flower Moon to the way that Ginger was handled in Casino. Not that, I mean, they're two very, very, very different characters. But I just mean as women in the story that are clearly going through their own shit, right? <laughs> but are kind of, in a way, brushed to the side to look at the story around them through the eyes of the men in the story and not really focus a whole lot on them as individuals. Yeah, Scorsese does better, I think, in his movies when he has a bad guy you kind of follow. Right, and it's compelling as fuck. Molly actually reminds me more... Well, I wish she reminded me more of Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas. Because I wish we got more of her, like Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas, with her mindset and, like, if she got to narrate some of this. I mean, you would think they'd give her a fucking minute. The amount of narration in this movie, it's, like, so much talking, talking, talking all the time, which is fine. I mean, in the beginning, like, first, how long is this fucking movie? Casino? Uh, 2.45, I believe. Right. So, there's a lot of talky-talky, okay? Killers of the Flower Moon is even longer, by the way. If you're interested at all in seeing that or knowing, like, more of our full thoughts, feel free to look at our reviews. I know we're posted on our social media. But, like, with Casino, there's so much narration over what's happening and we switch to different characters a lot and hear them talking over what's happening and in the beginning of the movie I want to say for like at least the first 20 to 30 minutes like it's just kind of laying out for the audience 
the whole fucking scheme that's going on here like how the mob is laundering money through this fucking casino and they got Bob De Niro running the casino and Joe Pesci's doing this and they're in the back room and they're counting money but they're skimming some off the top and taking it out of the suitcase and then this guy's also stealing it's just it's so methodical in the beginning and it's so much like I feel like it could have been explained a lot more succinctly in a lot shorter amount of time because I was like going in and out of it in the beginning I'm like okay we get it like they're fucking stealing money like we got it thank you Marty is at this point he's one of our auteurs he's one of our untouchable directors this there isn't really anybody to challenge somebody when he gets to this point of being this big well yeah this is five years after Goodfellas which he also did a review on by the way I feel like that was pretty early in our yeah it was like our shoot the flick career yeah you just need Joe Pesci to stab somebody with a pen and you were in I mean Jesus Christ yeah that was wild man it was just like 20 to 30 minutes of just talking and then all of a sudden Joe Pesci just stabbed somebody in the neck and I screamed like I was at a fucking football game like I was like yes <laughs> Joe Pesci yeah <laughs> like I was like so excited because I'm like Joe Pesci is being the Pesci <laughs> Joe Pesci he's got probably four unbelievable roles between Nikki and Casino, Tommy and Goodfellas, uh, one of the wet bandits in Home Alone. I was going to say, if you don't mention Home Alone, bro. And then My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, okay. Those are his like four like biggest roles. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's almost crazy. He still feels like he's underrated. Well, yeah, because he is kind of a mystery man. Like he's very private and very subdued i guess like he's kind of a mystery man they had to pull him out of some villa in like napoli where he's hiding out and just like chilling to do fucking irishman like what was it a few years ago now and that's funny too in that movie because he is of course a scorsese regular they had him as kind of like the calm sort of don type character in irishman which was like a different avenue that we'd never seen him in before but yeah, I, I love Pesci. Pesci just killed it in this movie. Like he kills it in every other fucking movie. Let's be real. But let's kind of like get out the uh, preliminary fun facts here. So as we mentioned, written, directed by Martin Scorsese, co-written by Nicholas Pileggi, who wrote the book. He also wrote the book that Scorsese adapted for Goodfellas. Uh, and weirdly, it kind of underperformed at the Oscars. It only got one nomination uh, weirdly for Sharon Stone, who played the female lead. Well, it's a very subdued performance for De Niro. Uh, Pesci, at this point, is Pesci with the anger. At sometimes when we were talking like during the movie, I kept calling him Tommy on a couple of occasions. Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> but Scorsese did get nominated for Golden Globe for director, but he lost to Mel Gibson for Braveheart. Yeah. That's going to happen, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the only like real f- preliminary fun fact that I have, I mean, we can talk about casting and stuff later as we go through. But uh, apparently the word fuck is said 435 times in this movie, which was the record, I think, for a while until oddly another Scorsese movie called Wolf of Wall Street, which uh, said the word fuck almost 600 times. So <laughs> I think Jonah Hill is the like actual like record holder right for saying fuck yeah. in the movie 
probably i'm assuming for wolf of wall street so fun (laughs) yeah fun times but yeah scorsese doesn't shy away from like the fucking brutality of things nope certainly uh like i said like the first real scene where i like woke up in this movie was when uh pesci just out of nowhere just stabs a guy in the neck with a fucking ballpoint pen and i'm like bro (laughs) what the fuck was that oh yeah he is he is no joke you like this better than... Do you like Goodfellas. Casino better than... Goodfellas is better than Casino. Oh, okay. That was going to be my question. <laughs> no, Goodfellas is... of mob, I would agree, though, with that. Of mob movies, it is... Like, you have Goodfellas, and then you have Godfather Part Two, And then everything else is kind of fighting for that middle ground. But again, that is another argument for another day of mob <laughs> movies. I guess, yeah. We'll have, like, a mob movie draft. Um, are you ready to get into the nitty gritty here? Yes, let us get into the nitty and the gritty. So, we start off with Bob De Niro getting blown up in 1983. Yeah, that was a weird scene. Just the opening of the movie, we like going into the opening credits. It's Bob De Niro walking out with like the like flashiest salmon suit I ever did see. And I'm like, whoa, that's a suit. And oh, then yeah, all his suits in this movie are... Very but like it starts out like typical mob shit though, and then towards the end of the movie they just get more and more colorful for some reason with Robert De Niro, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> you go, girl. And then yeah, he gets in the car, and then it, they have a blow up, and it's I don't. It was so weird. Like the cut was so harsh. It had to have been on purpose because there's like a harsh cut, and then you see a dummy, like clearly a dummy in the car, and it, as it blows up, and I'm like, I don't know if this is a problem because like blu-ray exists now and it didn't in 95 and like that's like maybe it wasn't meant to be seen in blu-ray that particular scene or scorsese was just like being cheeky i don't know <laughs> well i i think it's i think it is partially a blu-ray thing i i think most movies when you put them on blu-ray because it does clean up the image so much that you should think oh this wasn't supposed to be seen on blu-ray oh god this was not supposed to be seen on blu-ray so, but yes, we get our opening credits. This is a star-studded movie. Yeah, but uh, Robert De Niro plays Sam Ace Rothstein. Uh, <laughs> the narration at one point refers to him as the Golden Jew. And when I heard him introduce himself as Rothstein, I shut up because I was like, hmm, Rothstein, that sounds like a not Italian name, yes. but I'm just going to let it go. And then they said <laughs> the Golden Jew. And I'm like, Really? They're going to have Robert De Niro play the Jewish guy. I mean, listen, Jewish people come in all shapes and sizes, uh, as Scotty knows, being a a Jewish man. But I just thought it was very strange how they had, like, literally, if you look up Italian my boss with that inflection in the dictionary, let's say, you would see a picture of Robert De Niro's face in this movie. So it just seemed strange to me that they cast Robert De Niro as a character with the moniker the golden jew i mean i you know it's not my business i'm not a casting director if you can get robbed in here on your movie get him in your fucking movie but i would just say it was kind of funny to me i I think for the longest time i i don't think he was wanted to play an italian american goodfellas he was irish irishman he was irish right yeah you know he's jewish i know i forgot he was irish in goodfellas which is, yeah, I d- didn't, like, occur to me. So, yeah, I guess it is it is what it is. Like, it's fine, but it was just funny to me. So, yeah, we, of course, have talked about Robert De Niro before on the show. We had an episode on Bronx Tale. We had an episode on Silver Linings Playbook. 
Goodfellas, obviously. This movie, Casino, was actually released the same year as the movie Heat with Mr. Al Pacino, which, again, haven't seen it. Don't yell at me. Scott's got it on the list. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Heat is another whole bag of uh, a movie. Whew. We'll get there. But, yes, we get our narration from Ace Rothstein, who tells us he's really good at making money. He knows how to bet. He's the best handicapper in the game. And they basically go, you know what, Ace? Instead of, you know, getting arrested in New York, why don't you go to Vegas and run a casino in Vegas for us? During this whole bit, we also meet Joe Pesci, who plays Nicky Santoro. Yes, he, of course, is also a Scorsese regular, as we said. Pesci does this role very well of the hothead. Nikki's a little different than Tommy. Um, not like, like not much. Not, no, not, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a distinct difference. Tommy is literally a loose cannon, and Nikki, he's the muscle uh-huh. who thinks he's a big shot and can take charge, but he isn't as funny. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown. I amuse you. We don't really get the Joe Pesci humor here. We just get the fucking, like, arrogant, fucking hothead guy. Like, yeah. And also, I don't think in Goodfellas, Joe Pesci was fucking Ray Liotta's wife. Like, that wasn't a thing either. So, We do meet some other ancillary characters. Don Rickles is in this movie, guys. Don Rickles. Don motherfucking Rickles is in this movie. Yeah. Billy Sherbert. I was so happy to see him. I knew he was in this movie, but I was just really happy to see him. He doesn't really do much. He's just like the general manager of the casino, and he's kind of Bob De Niro's right-hand man. But, like, I've watched some clips, like, behind-the-scenes stuff where Robert De Niro, like, loved and idolized Don Rickles. So, like, when he would bust his balls on set, he would just kind of, like, get away with it. And it was, like, it was really funny. He's and then, Don Rickles. Yeah. And then I watched this clip. There was, like, an AFI award thing, like, they were holding for Martin Scorsese. And Don Rickles, like, had a little speech. And he got up and, like, roasted him a little bit. And he roasted Rob De Niro. It was just so funny. De Niro is sitting there. God bless you, Bob. He's got the beard on. To, to know him is a treat. He's one of the great actors of our time. You ask him. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just, like, a real joy to just see him. I wish they'd let him loose a little bit and, like, giving him a joke here and there, giving him some personality in the movie. Yeah, but, I don't know. It's, it's, it, this is very much a drama. Like, this is, like... True, but, like, it, that's why I feel like Goodfellas is better because, it, like, it kind of cuts the tension a little bit with jokes here and there. Yeah, there's definitely the difference between these two movies and you can compare and contrast them. But again, as we continue, we also meet uh, Kevin Pollack. When I saw him on screen, I was like, oh, he's going to die because they introduced him as like the basically like a patsy or like a, a, a front for like their illegal activity. So I was like, oh, he's going to get involved in some fucking scandal and they're going to kill him or something. And I don't think they they didn't kill him the whole nope. time. It was a bummer. I was like, damn, I wanted to be right about that. Unlike Goodfellas, there, there are quite a few people who die in this, but it's not like Goodfellas level of like, oh, let's kill everybody. Yeah, no, I was kind of expecting that. We learned that Nikki is sent out to Vegas to protect Ace, protect the Golden Goose. Yes. And this is where we get our uh, pen scene of Sam 
taps a guy on the shoulder and goes, hey, is this your pen? The guy tells him to go fuck himself and shove the pen up his ass, and Nikki takes the pen and stabs him. Yeah, at that point, it, like I said, it was so much droning on about, like, Michigas that I was just like, yay, something happened! Fucking blood and guts everywhere! <laughs> Joe Pesci just went fucking crazy and stabbed somebody in the fucking neck with a pen! Yeah, because before this, it was all basically... We're telling you that the mob was running Vegas, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, oh my god, it's so crazy. The mob corrupts. The mob likes money and shit. And they take the money, and then they put it in their pockets. Mind-blowing stuff. But Ace is running this casino the way he wants to run it. He's in control. He has everything running the way he wants. And then a pretty young lady comes walking into the casino oh my god yeah hot lady named ginger mckenna played by sharon stone ginger is she's trouble baby she is trouble with a capital t but immediately sam falls in love with her you can tell by the song what what was the song baby baby Yeah, so we were like, okay, we get it, cool. And, like, Sharon Stone is a hot lady, so, like, obviously, right? Uh, we have talked about her before also. She was Lori in Total Recall. That was five years before this movie. Also, Basic Instinct came out in 92. She was big at this time. She did get nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars, but she unfortunately lost to Susan Sarandon for Dead Man Walking. But she did win the Golden Globe for, for her role. And I think the role is really good she plays a very complex character i kind of wish that we even like went more into her struggle yeah she has a roller coaster through this movie i felt bad for her a lot of the time well because you're supposed to she's she's got a lot of problems right i mean this is seen as just hot lady right like that's how the guys look at her as like an object that's how she's been looked at her whole life. We, you know, we meet her pimp, which we're going to talk about in a second. And he, we find out that he's been with her since she was fucking 14 years old. So this fucking scumbag has had a hold on her since she was a teenage girl. And she's been objectified and used and fucked with all her life. And then she eventually gets with Sam. And it's like going from one abusive controlling relationship to another abusive controlling relationship and the whole time they're like i love you baby it's all fucking bullshit but then on the other side of it she knows that her looks and her feminine wiles get her what she wants so she also is she's used to using those things and she knows how to do that and she you know she doesn't value herself she values things and then when she still feels empty she tries to put all that in drugs and it's it's a lot of shit and she played it really well yeah and i think her and sam start off okay okay it does delve quickly into toxicity yeah well because when eventually when he asks her to marry him she's honest with him she's like listen i don't i'm not in love with you like that i care about you and I have fun with you, but, like, I don't love you like that. I feel like I shouldn't marry someone I'm not in love with. And he's like, well, you can learn to love me. Okay. And, like, he's, like, convincing her and, like, you know, I can give you stuff. You want stuff, right? You like stuff. And it's like, <laughs> okay, but I don't know. It's it's kind of sad. Because, you is. know, in the beginning, 
she is presented as very vibrant and lively and she lights uh, up a room yes she's very friendly and all that good stuff and beautiful and then she just has over the years just a slow downfall and you go from pitying her and feeling bad for her a lot of the time and then there are times also when you don't like her and you're like what the fuck are you doing like you know so it's a really complicated role and I think she played it very well I wanted to see more of her and I feel like that's a good sign of a, a, a great performance there were some other actresses that were in the running to play Ginger so I, I didn't want to make a whole big oh it's a cast could have been because this is the only thing I have really as far as other casting choices yeah because everybody else here is a Scorsese regular it's not none of the casting choices are here are particularly shocking are it's you telling me John Travolta wasn't considered for Ace Rothstein no I would hope not Jesus Christ um <laughs> but um th- there were a few interesting women in the running here we had uh Nicole Kidman who at the time was doing Batman Forever we had Cameron Diaz in there who had just got off of doing The Mask. So that was super s- early in her career. Would have made sense. Let's see. We had Uma Thurman, which would have been interesting. Yeah. She had just done Pulp Fiction. So that would have been fucking like, she would have been hot like off yeah. the presses at that time. We had Madonna, oh, which shock. also would have been crazy. She did end up doing Evita the next year. Uh, <laughs> you're you're gonna find this funny. Kate Capshaw was in the mix. Oh God, not Kate Capshaw. You know the lovely Kate Capshaw. If you don't know about her, check out our Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom review. That'll be fun for you. And then last but not least, we had Michelle Pfeiffer, who she yeah. actually ended up turning down this role. She was offered, but she figured it was too close to her role in Scarface. Which I mean, I've never seen Scarface. From what I know, it makes sense because it's a yeah. guy that runs a casino, and then she's. Well, married to Pacino, it, it, right? It, well, she she marries Pacino and it's drugs and it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a whole thing. So it makes sense. A little too close to that. But no, I think Sharon Stone actually did a great job and I don't know a whole lot of Sharon Stone stuff. Like I've seen Total Recall and then this and I don't really know if I've seen much else from her. This is her like her time frame where she is like one of the biggest actresses in the world at this point. And uh, she definitely between this basic instincts, Total Recall, it, it's like this is her time. But yeah, she does a really good job with this. And Do we want to introduce... Because when she gets married, she gets yes. on the phone and calls up her pimp. Well, we, we do meet her pimp here. Ew. We, we meet her pimp. Disgusting. B- uh, who, again, if you don't know, this is actually based on a true story. There are quite a bit of differences. There's, oh, you got the real tea? He's not... Again, he was an ex-boyfriend, Yes. They but ha- was he a pimp that no, he fucked her when she was a teenager? No, they they had a kid together when they were teens. They, uh, they had a kid was when, he an adult? No, they were both like 16. Okay, okay. They don't present him like that in the movie. No, they so do not. I had no knowledge of they, that. They, they dramatize this a lot. That's fine. But in the movie, He's this guy Lester is played by James Woods, who we just talked about when we did our Hercules review. He voiced... Hades and Disney's Hercules and this fucking guy's a scumbag he's a gross 70s stash motherfucker and I hated him and I was certain I would have put a million dollars on him dying he doesn't die in this movie guys how if you're doing a fucking mob movie I understand it's based on a true story right but you're clearly dramatizing it like Scotty said so if you're dramatizing it then why not just give the people what they want 
let the fucking mob assholes that are in real life are a bunch of assholes that are criminals, right? D- don't come for me, mob bosses. I don't give a fuck. You do what you do. But I'm just saying. We don't know who you are. We, we don't know who you are. We don't want any trouble. But, like, you know, everyone loves to see a fucking asshole pimp with an ugly mustache get murdered. And you don't give us that. Just just give the people what they want. No. And we see him multiple times in this movie. And no one thinks just fucking get rid of him. As you're watching this movie and you see Ginger's descent into madness, you feel like a lot of that is because of James Woods. Well, yeah, because if she's on the phone after she just gets married to Sam, right? And she's crying this fucking gross pimp fuck and she's like i love you and you just that's the first moment when i really just felt like so bad for her because it's like oh my god you've been like attached to this guy so long you think that this is love it's just like james woods's character introduces her to like harder drugs it looks like like she starts doing cocaine with him in front of their kid by the way not uh, in the movie she doesn't have a kid with Lester. She ends up having a kid with Sam. And later on in the movie, she's like doing lines in front of her kid. And I'm like, oh my God, this lady is fucking out of it. And you understand somewhat because clearly this woman did not have a good... Yeah, it's like, you know, when it came to the stuff later in the movie that involves her daughter, that was the point in the movie, the, the times that I struggled the most with like feeling bad for her. But, you know, if you kind of get past that initial anger, you really have to think, like, this lady just, you know, she couldn't catch a break at any point in her life, probably. So she had a rough fucking go. But Nikki comes out to Vegas. Yeah, it's a point of contention uh, because he is in the car with Sam and he's like, hey, what do you think about me coming out here? You think, would you be okay with that? And then later on in the movie... Nikki, who's been totally corrupted by Vegas at that point, he's like, I never asked your permission to move here. And it's like, well, you kind of did. <laughs> In the beginning of the movie, Sam's like ruling the fucking roost. Like, he's killing it. And I said down the line in this movie, when shit started getting bad, I'm like, if they all just left Robert De Niro the fuck alone and let him do his shit, none of this would be happening. Like, everything would be fine. He was doing just fine. <laughs> Without Nikki up his ass and all this drama with Ginger, like, and the other mob bosses, like, if everyone just left him to his own devices, he would have been fine. Well, when Nikki comes out to Vegas, the big thing about Nikki is Nikki realizes there is no hierarchy here. There's no, like, all the bosses, they can't come further west than Kansas City. They're afraid if they go any further west than Kansas City, they're going to jail. So... Vegas is unconquered land. Right. And Nikki sees it as, I can basically become the king of Las Vegas. I can run every little scheme I want. Uh, yeah, I'll kick some back to the mob bosses of New York. But I, I can run this shit. Mm-hmm. Which he basically does. He takes over for a yeah, while. Yeah, he kind of makes his own little corner of the sky there for sure and the issue sam seems to keep running into is every time 
problems seem to happen in this movie, he gets connected to Nikki. Because they were childhood friends and all that stuff. And Nikki is... He's not quiet when he does crime. He is very much out in front. Yeah. Why do I have to hide? No one's fucking coming for me. Yeah, I mean, oh my god. There was one scene where, like, the mob bosses back in Kansas City are like, oh, there was this fucking like asshole and bunch of people that went into one of the restaurants or something and shot up a bunch of people you gotta go find this guy and and take care of them and get get all the names of all his friends because we're gonna take him out too so there's a scene where nikki and his guys are carrying in this like giant dude and he's all beat up and bleeding and they put him on a fucking table and they put his head in a fucking vice and the, the head in the vice scene is great. But then it just gets so fucking gruesome because he literally like crushes this guy's head like a grape. <laughs> his eye pops out. And then he gives Nikki a name. He goes, Charlie M, uh, you make me pop your fucking eye out of your head to protect that piece of shit. Charlie M, you dumb motherfucker. That was rough, man. Jeez. Nikki is no fucking joke. He's very impulsive. He is very quick. Like Tommy and he, like, Goodfellas. Like Tommy and Goodfellas. He's basically Tommy and Goodfellas. They, they share a lot of similarities. Yeah. I mean, this movie in general is a lot like Goodfellas in that, like, it has a lot of great scenes with great actors bouncing off of each other. Like, every scene with De Niro and Pesci in this movie is magic. It's just fucking magic. And it also has some really gruesome violent shit so that dichotomy and like it works for the movie but it's similar to goodfellas in that way where it kind of has that balance of like great fucking acting moments that you want to like just take a bite out of and then just gruesome fucking violence (laughs) there's a point where nikki gets in trouble and gets banned from every casino in vegas because he he's doing too much shit and he's cheating he's cheating and he gets caught De Niro looks at him and goes, dude, you're going to get put in this black book and they're going to ban you from every casino. The last person they put in this book was fucking Al Capone. He's still in there and he's dead. And of course, Nikki gets put in the black book. Right. But it doesn't really stop him from going into Sam's fucking casino, though. He still goes in there multiple times. He does. Uh, again. And granted, like this movie obviously spans like multiple years. I feel like that's a thing, too, with Scorsese's movies. They tend to span many years, and you don't necessarily always know how much time is passing between scenes. Yeah, technically this movie spans 10 years. Right. And you can kind of tell that they're aging because they, you know, they'll give them gray hair. They gave fucking De Niro these, like, obnoxious old guy glasses that like it felt like they were trying to make him and excuse the fucking stereotype but it sounds like they were trying to make him look jewish and i was like all right (laughs) all right guys come on come on don't do that to him (laughs) don't do that that's not cool but yeah it was hard always to gauge how much time was passing so we do get some things with sam and ginger Sam does buy Ginger a lot of stuff, but he does put $2 million in the safety deposit box and gives Ginger the only key. That's a foolish decision from the beginning, because especially if it's true. I mean, I don't know the real story behind it. I'm just saying in the movie, foolish decision, because the night you got married to her, you saw her on the phone crying to her pimp that she missed him and she loved him. 
and then she's and then sam's like oh but you know you gotta trust me and i gotta trust you with you know my life we need to be solid on this so i'm gonna put this money in a lockbox you me have the only keys and if anything were to happen to me you have this money and it you know god forbid i get kidnapped or put in jail like you can help me and da 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 and she's like okay and then she does a lot of shit in the movie that granted like we just said before like she's a victim obviously but she does a lot of things in the movie later on that would clearly prove to any normal human being that, like she's not all for you man she's got some problems maybe you shouldn't trust her with your life at this point in time well eventually he does take the key back from her and it does lead to a climax at the end right yeah 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 and Sam is a man about town, you know, he's he's still running the Tangiers Casino, you know, but everybody knows his name. He gets awards, <laughs> you know. He knows all, like, the powerful politicians in the fucking town and, cause, and they, you know, he hides them out in his, like, little hotel and, you know, they get fucking hookers and he knows all the dirty little secrets of everybody and... That's just okay, I guess. I don't know. Well, that's how it goes sometimes yeah. when you run a casino. like. Yeah, but then, you know, when shit hits the fan, you know, things kind of turn on him really quick, though. Oh, yeah, they turn on him real quick. While that's all going on, Pesci, who has been banned from casinos, kind of uh, opens a diamond store and is basically robbing anybody and everybody blind whenever he can. Oh, yeah, there's one scene where, like, they're in the airport pesci and his wife and kid and like they go through like security or what, not even security they just go through the airport this is the pre-9-11 world and then he they go home and she like shakes out her fucking 70s beehive and there's diamonds like hidden in it and i'm like oh my god what a world you could just sneak stolen diamonds through the airport Ugh, i miss those days <laughs> <laughs> When were you sneaking down? Don't box. worry about Don't it. Don't worry about it. The freedom. So a lot's going on in the casino. De Niro does fire a guy for being incompetent, but it turns out he's the son of a commissioner. That comes back later for a little bit. But we get to the more important stuff. Ginger wants $25,000. Yeah, they have this fight. She's clearly like trying to manipulate him too which is funny because she's like i don't know why you're arguing about it and he's like i'm really not arguing i just want to know what you need twenty five thousand dollars for i feel like that's fair like it's not i want to argue i'm just asking what you need it for you know like as much as like ginger is very good at playing and manipulating people because that's clearly who she's become in this world mm-hmm. it's what she's had to do that's what she's had to do is to survive this is a man who has a very tight grip on his wallet. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't fuck around with money. I think he's just a control freak in general. He is. But like, there's there's one scene in this movie where, like, he's pissed off at the kitchen staff because, like, one person gets a muffin from the kitchen at the casino or whatever, and it has a bunch of blueberries in it, and then his muffin has, like, a couple. So he's like, I want you to put the same amount of blueberries in every muffin. And the chef's like, do you know what that means like how long that's gonna take me to i don't care i want the same blueberry it's like calm down dude it's a muffin well his muffin only had like two or three blueberries well such is life sometimes man he wants this blueberries 
But sometimes life gives you blueberries and sometimes life gives you doughy cake and you just have to fucking accept it sometimes, man. I should get that on a shirt. Yes. That really long phrase. Yes, that should be followed by the werewolf hole. Yeah, that and the werewolf hole are definitely our best catchphrases of this season. So she goes to the lockbox, takes the money out, and then goes to meet fucking scumbag Lester with his white leather pants at the fucking diner. And then, yeah, Sam goes over there after them and, like, you know, basically chases him out of there. And his guys beat his ass up. And I'm like, I was so, I'm like, okay, why are we not killing him now? We're not killing him yet. Really? We're not killing him now? Okay, great. Great. Well, uh, the, he'll be back. And he is. Like he a will rash. Be. He will return. Uh, but yes, Lester gets beaten up. Well, we should have killed James Woods a long time ago. I mean, Lester. We should have. No, yeah, let's not kill James <laughs> Wait, <no>. Woods here. <laughs> well, we should have killed Lester a long time ago is what I'm saying. If, if I were a mob boss, I wouldn't mentally or emotionally abuse my wife. But that's just me. If I were a mob boss and my wife took money and tried to give it to some scumbag pimp that abused her in her childhood i would be pissed off and i would you know take care of business like mob bosses do not to say that sam is like the ultimate mob boss but he's got some some pull if he goes to nikki or somebody and was like hey man this fucking pimp's a scumbag and he's an abusive son of a bitch and he's up my wife's business like we gotta take care of him he oh, could get it done. Yeah, if he went to Nikki and told Nikki to do something, Nikki would have done something. But Sam isn't really a mob boss. Oh, but he's a boss, though. Yeah, but he, it's more... Sam's not really... He's not the violent type. Well, that's a problem. You know, Nikki's the violent type. But uh, this quickly leads to Ginger going down the drug road going down the drug road yeah and she's drinking a lot she's stealing sam's pills yeah sam tries to get her in a program and it's it's implied that she goes but then after that she's still drinking so it clearly didn't take but also she has this meeting with nikki where you know he's kind of consoling her on the whole situation with sam and lester and everything and she says a line that I wrote down because I thought it was funny. She's like, I never should have married him. He's a Gemini. And as a Gemini, I was offended. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck does that mean? But anyway, the bigger fucking thing that comes out of that scene is like her and Nikki get weirdly close to each other. Very like sexily close to each other and i proceed to scream at the tv <gasps> is he gonna fuck her are they gonna fuck oh no oh no i'm like screaming at the tv <laughs> i didn't know if scott was laughing at me probably yes it, i was so ugh, i was so grossed out i'm like are they gonna fuck are they gonna have sex oh my god yeah nikki at this point has become the mob boss of vegas if somebody does something or, like, anything happens, they go arrest Nikki. And Nikki beats the charge every time. Mm-hmm. But they're watching him constantly. This leads me to another side point that isn't super important right now, but people are starting to skim off 
the stuff that's supposed to be going back to the mob. Right. Well, well, Nikki is for sure. Nikki is. Some other people are as well. The mob's not getting their full take. So they start sending a guy to go look into it. And the guy is... A big mouthed idiot. He starts... He complains about it constantly. But he does the dumb thing of... He starts writing down everything he does. Yeah, he starts keeping records of things. And the boss is like, don't fucking write shit down. What are you talking about? But he does. He keeps everything written down. So that's important just to keep in mind for later when everything hits the fan and feds get involved in shit. So remember that guy I said really quickly how Sam fired an idiot for being incompetent? Well, that guy was related to a guy who's on the board of the Gaming Commission who revokes Sam's license. So Sam can't run the casino anymore. So he starts losing his cool. He fucking starts yelling at politicians going, I I took care of you. I basically, I gave you hookers when you wanted hookers. Yeah, uh it was actually really satisfying to watch that scene where he's like in the fucking like courtroom or whatever for the gaming commission and they're going to talk about giving him his license and they just throw the case out and De Niro just starts like calling each fucking person out on their shit and there's this one like politician guy that's like I don't want to I'm not responding to this and he's like just say that I was at the I was you were at my casino and I was having dinner with you and you said this and he's like you were at that dinner and then he walks away yes you were (laughs) and I was like oh you fucking bitch and then this part was not on my bingo card for this movie I I will definitely admit it threw me for a loop after Sam has this like very public fail his next step is to get a television show like a talk show like he's Johnny fucking Carson and there's one point where oh my god he's at this fucking table and he has it's like a talk show he has people on he's you know talking to guests and he's sermonizing essentially about how the government is corrupt and that's why I didn't get my gaming license and I'm taking it to the Supreme Court and he's sitting at this table and I swear to god it looked like joker it looked like the movie joker which he obviously was in where he played a fucking talk show host and it, it just like gave me flash I was like oh my god it's like joker <laughs> it's joker it was joker was probably referencing this a little bit maybe a little bit i mean it was mainly let's be honest it was referencing king of comedy for pretty much the entirety of that film which scott hasn't seen we're gonna get there i know i've seen a scorsese movie that scott hasn't seen isn't that (gasps) fucking crazy but anyway yeah that was not expected that was also kind of a dumb move there sir why are you on tv like (laughs) being an idiot well the thing is de niro doesn't see himself as a criminal he is. Well, that's a... Why? Why wouldn't you see yourself that way? Because... <laughs> you work for the mob. He Well, you work for the mob, yes, but he's not doing anything in Vegas that's technically illegal. Right. He's doing everything above board. No, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's just his connection to Nikki is a problem. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't just blame it all on Nikki because he, the reason he got the job running the casino is because of mob connections. So oh, you can't, of course. You know, he's he's he, basically no. he's in the mob, so he, you can't. He's, he's not clean. I'm not saying he's like clean. Right. No, I get what you're saying, but yeah, that's why he's willing to go. Like, I'll go to the Supreme Court and I'll do that because he doesn't see himself as a criminal because he he doesn't do that stuff. But he's just technically as dirty as everybody else is. It's just. Yeah, it's just in his mind he's never technically done anything wrong. I I mean I guess 
in a legal sense, that's why things kind of blew over. Because in time, as you get further on in the movie, like, De Niro's basically okay. Like, he's back to look overseeing the casino again in time. You know, he it's it's kind of like business as usual, you know, after a certain amount of time. So I guess, you know, after the drama kind of blew over, it was mostly back to normal. Until he basically says to one of his mob connections that he goes, hey, Nikki should take a vacation. Nikki's a fucking problem. He's a loose cannon and he's making trouble for me, <laughs> which isn't a lie. But then uh, Nikki wants to meet with fucking Sam in the middle of the desert, which is like, oh, that's not a great idea, but okay. Uh, <laughs> and then like he reads in the riot act and then later on he goes to sam's casino and starts making a fucking scene and shit and like harassing the workers and stuff he fucking beats don rickles in the head with a fucking phone i'm like no sir not don rickles don't you dare (laughs) you piece of shit well also at this time nikki has stopped asking for permission to do things well that's true and the bosses know that too they're like getting very aware of nikki kind of being a loose cannon he's getting involved in drugs you know, he's fucking around. He killed a cop. You know, like, all these things are adding up to, like, Nikki is really actually starting to become a problem. Hmm. And then Sharon Stone takes her kid. Fucking shacks up with Lester again. It's like, dude, go away. <laughs> like, just be happy that you haven't been fucking killed yet. Like, when are you going to learn? <laughs> Yeah, this this at this point you'd be like, dude, count your blessings that you just got just away of a beating. It. And then like he has Ginger and the kid with him and he's trying to convince Ginger to run away with him to another country and then ransom their child back to Sam so that he can give them money. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like she's I mean, again, in a lot of ways, Ginger is a victim, but she's also a terrible, terrible mother. Like, there are points in this movie where you feel really, really bad for the daughter because at one point, like, there's an argument between the two of them and the cops are called and you see the little daughter staring at her bedroom window looking at them and it's just like, oh, man. And then she, at one point, Ginger wants to go out and do drugs or whatever the fuck she wants to do and she literally ties her daughter to her bed and like <laughs> just leaves her there so she can go out and it's like why would you do that and then it's so weird it's so bizarre well at that point ginger's gone ginger yeah, she's is fucked up she's on way too many drugs she's drinking all the time yeah and i mean because i feel like as as women when you're depicted as a bad mother the instant feeling is that you're just this terrible person uh, automatically and it's it's not saying that ginger's like a great person but when it comes to like mother shit and you're depicted as a bad mother it's hard sometimes for people to see past that and see your own trauma because you know there's an innocent kid here that's being traumatized so as an adult your trauma isn't looked at really in comparison to the kids trauma and that's fair but also in this movie you also get a clear picture of ginger's fucked up life and the shit that she's had to go through and if anything i just like i said earlier i wish there was more 
deep dives into Ginger's inner torment just so we could like see more of what's going on with her and like what she's had to deal with in her life but yeah it's rough and Lester's a scumbag which if you had killed him before (laughs) none of this would be happening again I'm speaking clearly as a mob boss here I'm not speaking as like a normal citizen who is law-abiding and lovely as I am but you are but, but like if I were a mob boss, like kill that motherfucker, <laughs> bury him in the desert <laughs> right next to a cactus. But Nikki seemingly is the shoulder for Ginger to cry on and the voice of reason for Bob De Niro to kind of calm everything down for now until he starts sleeping with Ginger. Yeah, well, he does. Well, he was already sleeping with her. I'm not sure if he was sleeping with mm. her just yet. Mm. Sketchy. It's sketchy. I'm screaming at the TV. When Frankie starts screaming, we know something's amiss. Okay? (laughs) Something sketchy's going on. But yeah, Pesci convinces Ginger to bring the daughter back and kind of smooth things over with Sam. And it is smoother, maybe a little bit. Uh, but then later on, it devolves again, and he ends up kicking her out, and then she comes back. It's very, very toxic and sick, but she ends up in a scene talking to Pesci, and they're just lamenting over Sam and how he's changed, and like he's, oh, God, Vegas has changed him so much. Meanwhile, Pesci started off as like some fucking heavy from fucking New York. Ca- New yeah. York. And now he thinks he's like the Diamond King of fucking Vegas. Well, and he's fucking his wife. It's like, what the fuck? Well, that's the thing. Like, technically, Sam's the only one that kind of really hasn't changed. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. He, yeah. he is literally pretty much the same fucking person from beginning to end. And yeah, Nikki decides he's going to start sleeping with Ginger. Um, it's so gross. <laughs> It's so weird and icky. It is. It gets icky the, Nikki. It, it's, it gets to a point where the mob bosses back home are like, hey, is Nikki sleeping with Ginger? And they're like, no, I, I've never heard of thing. I love the moral barometer of these mob bosses. <laughs> they're like, you can fucking kill people. You can sleep with whoever, you know, whatever hooker you want. And you can like steal money from people. But once you start banging some other guy's wife, we don't like that. <laughs> Well, their issue their issue isn't really a moral code. Their issue is if the two of them, who are basically the two heads for the mafia in Vegas, start fighting for real, that's a problem. And people may start connecting dots that we don't want connected. <laughs> and she, uh, as Frankie said, she did tie her daughter to the bed and goes to Nikki's restaurant. And then he, Sam goes there to get her and fucking Mickey is like now you be nice don't make him don't make a scene in here you be nice to her it's like oh my god I want to vomit <laughs> like uh, what it, the fuck is this it's fine for you it's scandal all over again <laughs> it, it's fine for you to come to my casino and make a scene but when I come to your restaurant I'm not supposed to make a scene it's so weird and eventually when he pulls her out of there and she Tell Sam to go fuck himself. Sam has already taken that key to the lockbox from her. And she runs back to Nikki and is like, I, I told him to go fuck himself. I told that we were sleeping together. And Nikki's like, you didn't. He's like, fuck. 
Like, this is a problem, Ginger. And he basically froze Ginger out of his restaurant. Yeah. (laughs) And then, yeah, she just makes a huge scene. And then the next day, the cops are called. She's able to get in the house and get some stuff. She takes the key to the lockbox, goes to the bank, takes all the money and tries to run. But the cops catch her. It's like, you're under arrest. But then nothing really comes of that. They let her go because apparently by that point, the feds had gotten all of this good shit on like Nikki and the mob bosses and all this shit. So they were now building a case against the whole outfit here. Yeah. And this is where the mob decides we're going to kill a bunch of people. Right, we just get a mass fucking exodus of people. The less people who know anything, the better. They kill an ancillary character. Uh, it turns out they do dose Ginger's drugs. Yeah, because she knew too much. That was sad, too. At the end, she, she really was a tragic character, like, in every way. It's kind of sad. Yeah. And it's really sad, actually. They send somebody out to meet Nikki and his brother in a cornfield. Oh my God. That was great. Cause they have Nikki narrating over it. Like, Oh yeah. You know, I, I can't go in Vegas right now, but my brother, he's going to take over the business and then oh, and then <laughs> they stop the narration as he's being fucking whacked. And it's so that was clever. And I like that. Force him to watch as they beat his brother to death. Yeah. That was like, Ooh, that this is personal. You want him to like really suffer. They sent the message, and then they put his brother and him in the hole and bury them out in the cornfield. That's rough, buddy. And Sam ends up in San Diego as a handicapper again, making bets for the mafia. And that's Casino. Yeah, they didn't kill him. Why didn't they kill him? Because he could still make them money. Right. And technically, he's not a criminal. But Nikki did try to kill him, though, with the car bomb. Yeah, Nikki tried to kill him with the car bomb. And it didn't work out. Well, because Nikki also had a lot of drugs in himself, too. So he fucked up. Yes. (laughs) Which explains the blow-up scene in the beginning, which, again, I'm not sure, like... The dummy, whatever, but Blu-ray. yeah, it's Blu-ray. It's it's Blu-ray problems. Who cares? But yeah, that's Casino. That is Casino, and it is a it's a fucked up movie. <laughs> it's a fucked up movie, but I would say that it's uh you know typical Scorsese fair. I had fun with it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we talked about most of the major points along the way. I think it's. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar to Goodfellas. Goodfellas has a lot of similarities to Killers of the Flower Moon. The Departed, it's got a lot of similarities to that. To the Irishman. The Irishman. There's a lot of um, similar themes in a lot of Scorsese movies. So this is no different, I feel like. It was fun. The acting was great. The writing was good. The direction was fun. Overall, I had a good time. Yeah. Four out of five stars. I have it as a four and a half. But yeah, it's one of those things. It is it is a classic movie. It is a classic Scorsese fair. And it's probably up there as one of his top three movies he's ever done. It was fun to dip our toes into the 70s culture of like, you know, the stashes and the suits 
and the the fashions and the it was it was fun to like dip our feet in that culture for a minute it was fun yeah and then, again great performances pesci's great like usual de niro was good sharon stone actually i think held her own with the oh, two, yeah. the two titans of you know these movies and I think everybody played a, a role in this and made it a good movie. Is it as good as Goodfellas? No. But again, that's a hard bar to live up to. True. Next week, we will be dipping our toes back into the 70s pond with a movie that I'll be showing Scott. And uh, it's again, another movie that isn't made in the 70s, but is set in the 70s so i'm excited to talk about that one but until then this has been shoot the flick i'm frankie sparks and i'm scott eisenberg make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out all of our episodes on itunes spotify google podcast and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week for our far out Groovy movie adventure. Let's go gamble. Mm, I'm not a fan. Money, 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 money. Money, money, money.